Friends, our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. I ask not only on behalf of these, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. As you, Creator God, are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, so that they may be one, as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become completely one, so that the world may know that you have sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Holy God, I desire that those also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous God, the world does not know you, but I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Will you join me in a spirit of prayer? Holy, holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each and every one of our hearts collectively be acceptable in your sight. For you, O God, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So, in our Christian Bible, we have four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the first three that I mentioned in that list, which are exactly in that order, if you were to flip open your Bible, are considered the synoptic Gospels. And what that means is that these three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, will feel pretty similar if you were to read one and then the other and then the other. These three gospel books, they contain a lot of the same stories, often in the same sequence, and sometimes they even have identical wording, if you do a word study comparison. And now already from that first little bit of this sermon, I know that I have lost some of you and there is no shame, and so I'm going to break it down just a little bit more. I am telling you from this pulpit that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus is told in four different ways in your Bible. And you can check me on this fact when you get home in the afternoon. You can crack open your Bible and you will see that there is no single chronology or details given about what Jesus Christ did while here on earth. These stories are different and they're all in the Bible. There is no one way that is the only way that the authors who set the stories of our Savior in the world down on paper chose to tell those stories. There is diversity in these beautiful gospel texts, and from that diversity of expression and storytelling, we find that there are these different truths highlighted that lead us to these different places of awe and inspiration. And the differences of these texts do not weaken their validity and importance. Rather, they highlight this breadth and this depth. They highlight this beauty that is finding truth and insight from different perspectives. 
Each gospel is highlighting different facets of Jesus' life and death and resurrection and what these different stories have to say to us. And so this brings me back to this term, synoptic gospels. That's your church vocabulary word for the morning. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But then what do we do with the gospel of John? The gospel of John is very different than the synoptic gospels in that it has some stories that they do not have. And some of these stories are some that you might think are are widespread in all the gospels. But in fact, they're just in the gospel of John. Stories like Jesus turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana, that's just in John. How about the resurrection of Lazarus? That is just in John. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, that is only in John. Meanwhile, the Gospel of John, it lacks some stories that we might take as a given. Stories that the Synoptic Gospels do have. Stories like Jesus' baptism the calling of the 12 disciples, exorcisms, parables, and the Last Supper. None of those are in the Gospel of John. So friends, let's hone in on this morning's scripture, which comes from this Gospel of John. And in it, we find Jesus praying to God. And he is praying on behalf of his followers, of his disciples who are with him, and on behalf of everyone who will become a follower because of what they say, and then what they say, and then what they say through to this morning, today. That's who Jesus is praying for. He prays, and he prays. And now, in the Synoptic Gospels, this time of prayer before his arrest, in, before his arrest that leads to his crucifixion, this time of prayer, it occurs in the Garden in Gethsemane. And you remember that scene, don't you, from just a few weeks ago, from Holy Week and from Easter, Jesus going off to pray in solitude on that fateful evening in the garden, and he looks back around, and the disciples are already asleep. But that's not how John tells the story. So in John's story, we roll that tape back. In John's gospel, it goes like this. It's the last night with his disciples, so Jesus dines with them, and then he washes their feet something he did not do in the Synoptic Gospels. And then he gives them a new commandment, love one another. And then he does a kind of a question and answer session with his followers, telling them that he is soon to leave them. And then, and then he starts to pray. And that's where we are this morning. And this time he is not alone in the garden as he prays. There's no sleeping disciples some distance away. In this gospel, he starts to pray right there with the disciples. And there's a theologian, Mary Shore, that writes this. Throughout the earlier part of the evening, Jesus had given them as much information as he possibly could about what was about to happen and how he would provide for them in the future. And now, Jesus turns from offering information to them and begins to offer intercession for them. And what are the themes of this prayer that Jesus prays? Unity and deep abiding love. And I'll say that again, as the themes of his intercessory prayer for his disciples and for those who come after his disciples, a prayer for unity and for deep abiding love. And now these two themes are central. They are at the absolute core of what the United Church of Christ is all about, what its mission is in the world, a unity in the essentials, and then a celebration of diversity in all the non-essentials, 
a deep abiding love that is so deep that it binds us all together. Right there in the bottom of our denominational seal, this cross and orb, right there at the bottom of that seal that is on my ordination certificate, that's on the certificates for baptism that I give to families, right there at the bottom of that seal are words from this morning's scripture. John 17, 21, that they may all be one. Since Jesus' time, through to our modern church era, at the denominational level and at the local church level, we lift up this importance of unity and of deep abiding love. And for us, unity is not about doctrine. You don't have to believe any one particular thing to come to the communion table here at the Nahant Village Church. Unity for us is not about the finite particulars of your faith. It's about the unity of being people who endeavor to look beyond our own egocentric selves and recognize the sacredness of one another and of God's creation. The unity that we are talking about is the unity that is about a willingness to take up our calls, our responsibilities in this great story of the world. And how about that deep abiding love that Jesus is praying about? That's the feeling that ought to guide us. That's the principle to be our compass in this life. How can we be people who receive that deep abiding love and then allow it to flow through us as if we are these conduits and flow out of us for all who we encounter? So that's where I'm going to give you this final thought for today. There's this principle that I learned about in seminary for my Master's of Divinity degree, and it was one of the most important principles that I learned, it's salient and it's true, and it's the three B's. And in this case, Bible is actually not one of those three B's. The three B's are these, behavior, belief, and belonging. So one more time, the three B's are behavior, belief, and belonging. And these are the three words that can be used to talk about the ways in which different people engage their faith life, and the ways in which different churches or faith communities emphasize different parts of their life together. So just as the Gospels texts came to each writer in different ways, with each writer having a different perspective, personal life, cultural influence, sources, and more, each Christian comes to their faith from a diversity of backgrounds. And each church, too, has been built up from different streams of Christian tradition through history. And there is great diversity in what it means to be a Christian in the world, in the United States, and even in mainline Protestantism. Now, mainline Protestantism is a word that you may have heard tossed around, but it might be helpful to know what in the world that means. So the mainline Protestant churches in the United States are the following. These are the biggest couple of them. The United Methodist Church, the PCUSA, Presbyterian Church of the United States of America, the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, the Episcopal Church, the American Baptist Church, and also the United Church of Christ. And each tradition offers up its own vantage point for drawing our attention to the sacred and offering us guidance for living. So here's the point, friends. Behavior, belief, and belonging. Any church that you walk through the door of in the above denominations, even though we are all of mainline Protestantism, even in that there is diversity because each church 
is going to weight one of these three Bs more heavily than others. They are all important, and you'd be hard-pressed to find a faith tradition that doesn't include all three to varying degrees. But let me break it down so that you'd know if you are in a church that emphasizes one of these three Bs more heavily than the others. So here's how it looks. Church A, you walk into, and Church A says the crux of their faith, the crux of their community is about behavior. Forgive often. Try not to use profanity. Be kind to one another. How you behave is very important. And then you walk into Church B, and Church B says the crux of our faith is belief. As long as you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, that's really what matters. Grace alone is sufficient for all things. So just continue to deepen your belief and pray. And then finally you walk into Church C, who says the crux of our faith is belonging. You belong here with us, exactly as you are, and everyone else belongs here too, because we are all beloved, all created, all called into community and action together. This is an open and affirming church. Now, are you starting to get a sense of where the United Church of Christ and where the Nahant Village Church in particular falls in this spectrum of bees, behavior, belief, and belonging? Every church has some degree of each of these Bs, and there is this amazing beauty to be found in that. For example, we as the United Church of Christ, we are not a creedal denomination, so we may at times draw on different creeds from the Christian tradition, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, but we don't, in most of our churches, require people to say it or believe it. And yet, I give thanks for our ecumenical sibling churches who do who hold that piece of the tradition alive and who nurture that piece. So as a church, that is not going to strictly tell you exactly how to behave in the world. Sure, we will give you some moral and ethical guidance and support. We'll walk with you, but we're not going to tell you these black and white rules. And as a church that is going to give you something amazing to believe in, this trinity so wonderful, this beloved community, this resurrection from hopelessness, but which isn't going to say that there is one thing that you must believe in. With all that in mind, which part of the three Bs is ours as the United Church of Christ and as the Nahant Village Church to lift up? Which one do we have the unique responsibility of holding high and nurturing? It's the third one, belonging. That's our biggest beat, belonging. And that, in this day and age, and has always been, radical. And that is deeply rooted in Jesus' teachings. The scripture says, the denominational seal says, that they may all be one. Not one in behavior. Not one in belief, per se, We are rooted in a tradition that calls us into a oneness in belonging. A oneness of belonging at the communion table, in the pews, in coffee hour, in this beloved community, and in the world at large. This unity and deep abiding love that Jesus prays about in this morning's scripture comes alive in us as we live into what it is to be true beloved community that is rooted in the radical notion that all of us belong here. And this is a bold proclamation 
that in this church and at this communion table, we will not tolerate there being an in-group and an out-group, the saved and the unsaved, the chosen and the unchosen. There is no hierarchy, no beloved and discarded, no. That's not what this communion table is about, and that's not what this church is about, and you can read that right on the back of your bulletin in the church's own open and affirming statement. And we don't always get it right, do we? Sometimes we give these side-eyed glances to newcomers, and sometimes we neglect to make sure that we are accessible and affirming to all, and sometimes we speak carelessly, and sometimes we neglect to reach out in Christian love, and for all of that which we have done and which we will no doubt continue to do, we ask God's forgiveness And we ask one another's forgiveness. And we invite, if you're new here today, to know that we will mess up. And we invite you to be in relationship with us anyway because we ask your forgiveness and we endeavor to do better. Because we are human and we are forever learning how to be good to one another. But we're committed to trying. That statement on the back of the bulletin is a commitment to trying. We're committed to trying our best to be welcoming and open and affirming. We are trying our best to let people know that we believe in their inherent worth and dignity and that they have a place of belonging here. At the Nahant Village Church and in the United Church of Christ, we are a church of unity, of deep abiding love, of radical belonging, of life-giving and life-saving belonging. And everyone here this morning and everyone who will come in our doors in the years to come is Imago Dei, made in God's image. 20-year-olds and 60-year-olds and 90-year-olds, babbling babies and cruising toddlers, teens and tweens and in-betweens, homeless, unemployed, underemployed, black, white, brown, Latino, 40 years sober or four hours sober, used once or used last night, Parents of a half dozen or happily not parenting, single, partnered, widowed, divorced, joy-filled or grieving, anxious or depressed, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, in three-piece suits or shorts and flip-flops, carrying a Bible or never having cracked one open, Christian, Jewish, Muslim, or from any other faith tradition, walking, wheeling, or using a walker or cane, sick, well, or somewhere in between, everyone is beloved and belongs. All who enter the Nahant Village Church are beloved and belong. So if you look right at this very moment and you see the faces of those who are around you, and if you close your eyes and you imagine who it is that might come into this church in the years to come, I want you to know that in their faces you glimpse God's own. Because everyone belongs here. Everyone belongs here, even you. All who enter this house of God belong here in this place where we come together in unity and in a deep abiding love to follow Jesus. Amen.